Guys, before we start this week's episode of the Vela News Podcast, we wanted to take some time and pay homage and honor uh, Chad Young, the racer from Action Hoggins Berman, who passed away after a very bad crash at the Tour of the Gila last week. Chad was a racer who touched a lot of people's lives. And Kaylee Fretz, who's sitting across from me, did a story this week in which he spoke and emailed with lots and lots of people who uh, were fans of Chad's, had interactions with Chad, basically shared their stories with Chad. Kaylee, after editing and reading all of these stories, what's sort of the sense that you've gotten from, uh, from uh, Chad in his life? The sense that I've gotten is that he, yeah, that he touched a lot of people and a lot of different types of people. And you know, we, I've had stories come in, everything from fourteen-year-old kids who, you, you know, who, who sort of credit Chad with helping them get into racing to his brother sent one in, uh, cousins and family and. Uh, the, the overarching sense is just of a young man who was in many ways mature beyond his years, uh, but fiercely competitive and, and absolutely in love with, with bike racing. It's a tough time as a fan of cycling, as well as a, to be a cyclist. Um, you know, dealing with death in the sport is never an easy topic to approach as a fan or a journalist, but when it's a tragedy like this, where the person is so young, so full of life, they have so much opportunity still ahead of them. It can be just a really, uh, just a, a really crushing blow. And I can't speak for you all, but I know that I've had to do some soul searching this week, both as a journalist, also as a cyclist. Um, it's the sport that I love, it's the sport that I have a tremendous amount of passion for, but you know, Chad's story is a grim reminder that the sport can also be extremely dangerous and um, pose great hazards. And I think that if you out there as a cyclist have had to have some second thoughts about your love of cycling and your passion, you're definitely not alone. It's something that we're all going through right now. Yeah, I think it makes you kind of step back and, and think about what you do day to day on a bike. All those, all those moments where you... Uh, Maybe scared yourself a little bit, and then it makes you wonder what what could have been. Um, as you say, it's not something you want to give up. It's not something that that, that uh, you want to leave behind. But just taking a moment to to put what you do into perspective, I think, is important. And you know, I think that it's going to be something that we all, as fans of the sport. And as cyclists, we'll have to spend some time thinking about to fully process. But in the meantime, what we can do is we can remember Chad Young, we can read these stories about him, and we can um, think about the passion that he brought this to this sport and um, take that with us as we go out into the world. Okay, let's get on with the show. Uh, I'm Fred Dreyer, Editor-in-Chief of Velo News, and I am joined today by some new faces. Just kidding. Same old faces. Same old faces. Kaylee Fretz. Hi, Fred. Senior Editor of Ella News. And Spencer Paulison, News Director of Ella News. What's happening? It is a drizzly rainy day in Boulder, Colorado. All the doggies will be wearing their 
handmade fancy doggy rain jackets. Natural fibers, of Natural course. fibers. Yes, recycled. Yep, and the cyclists will be staring outside waiting for the rain to end. Because we, don't, we don't ride in the rain in Boulder. We don't ride in the rain Just Crushing in Zwift laps. Crushing those Zwift laps. And we, as fans of the sport, have a really exciting weekend coming up because bum, 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 the Giro d'Italia is here, the first Grand Tour of the season. I don't know about you guys, but I am so psyched and excited. I love this race. It is the race most affiliated with foul weather and chaotic racing and romance. I don't know why we say romance all the time. Pink? Pink? I don't know. Uh, either way, the, the race is far too long and far too chaotic for us to talk about in just one segment. So we will be talking about this race over the next three weeks, splitting it up into various weeks and chunks. Uh, guys, before we get on to the action, we have to talk about this very wacky um, new uh, competition that the Giro d'Italia rolled out quietly with mo- like the worst PR move ever. It's this downhill championships where the Giro will be timing what the, the downhill on 10 descents mm-hmm. to award a prize. Yep. Correct. Cash prize. Sponsored by uh, Pirelli Tires. Pirelli Tires, which at the moment does not make cycling tires. So no, Pire- no, no Pirelli-sponsored rider is going mm. to win this particular uh, Well, maybe that's something we should watch out for, though. Maybe yeah, they're uh, going to launch a tire line. Maybe this was their big uh, yeah. big way to segue into the, the cycling, company cycling was, industry. The company was just purchased by a large Chinese firm, and I wonder if this is uh, an effort to seem more Italian, once mm. again, is to throw some money into some very Italian things mm. like the Giro d'Italia. But as you said, Fred, I think that, uh, well, the, the timing was extremely unfortunate. The communication was uh, poor, and the idea itself... Um, is not our favorite no. ever. Let's just go out with like guns a blazing takes. This is a dumb idea that was communicated <laughs> badly and basically done in the worst possible way at probably the worst possible time. Correct. Everything about this competition is is bad. It's a flaming hot take, and I have nothing to say against it, Fred. Um, you know, I mean, aside from the obvious reasons of you know the implicit dangers involved in having guys race downhill. I just, I just really wonder why there, I don't know, why this wasn't communicated better and why this just wasn't thought through a little bit better. I mean, do we chalk this up to the usual chaos of RCS and the Giro d'Italia? Um, do we chalk this up to um, maybe organizers realizing that people wouldn't be a big fan of this, so they just kind of quietly put it out there? Like, what? <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that quiet, though. I mean, it- I saw it on cyclingnews.com. A, yeah. a bicycle website. I yeah. think I think Entering might have been the first to dig yeah. into the rule book and find it. So tip of the hat to them. But uh, the thing I really legitimate, my legit question is, if no one had discovered this rule in the media and no one had tweeted about it and freaked out about it on social media, how many of the riders in the peloton would actually be aware of this prize once they started the Giro? I'm betting not that many. Yeah. Well, the... Response was quick. We're recording this on Tuesday, and yesterday on Monday, Twitter was a buzz, a blaze with all of these responses saying how dumpster fire, dumpster fire, mm-hmm. inconsiderate dumpster fire. it is, and how you know the Giro is throwing people in harm's way. And uh, look, if the Giro is already throwing people in harm's way, and the fact that it has windy, twisty roads that ri- racers will be racing down uh, no matter what, yeah, and the finish lines at the bottom of mountains, right. 
So the fact (laughs) that this is a, the fact that, look, cycling is implicitly dangerous and this may or may not be adding to that level of danger. To me, just the entire competition in its concept is just stupid. So my my major issue with it is, okay, you could could argue around in circles uh, all day long whether this actually makes anything more dangerous. Um, You know, the guys that are going to go fast are going to go fast anyway, whether they are chasing back onto a group or whether they're going off the front. Um, I think that if there is any chance whatsoever that it does make it more dangerous, and if you listen to the pros, that's what they are saying, and they would probably know, it still comes back to what's the point? What does this add to the Giro. The danger thing is actually just, it's a its a side argument because what does this add to the Giro d'Italia? And I would argue that it adds very, very little. Oh, no, no, you're totally wrong. See, if you just look here uh, in the bank records for RCS Sport, you'll see this oh. line item from Pirelli. Uh, and that's, that's, what it, that's what it adds to the Giro, <laughs> this this line item in the bank account. Ooh, I'm also seeing something in the, GR, the Giro's PR manual about trying to drum up discussion of the race in the week beforehand. Mm. Um, Maybe that's what they're uh, it's bringing such to the race. Such cynics, you two. You're I such know. cynics. Well, so here's the here's the way you, you spin it. Here's the PR move: is you don't tell anyone about this before the race. Afterward, you award the fastest descender thing. <laughs> I, I kind of like hey, that. Idea. It's, hey, it's bonus. You know. <laughs> and if nobody knows about it, then surprise no one can, bonus. No one can go extra ooh, fast ooh. and do crazy things. Or you just don't tell them which descents are timed. Oh, I like. And that. then you just don't even know because there's so many of them. That's Can't true. possibly. There's, there's, like there's, probably, a lot. there's probably 50 descents in the Giro. Let's get on the horn with RCS and let's hash this out. We'll figure it out for them. We've got, we got a lot of good ideas going yeah. here. If a tree falls in the woods and no one's around, does anyone hear it? And if a descending competition happens in Italy and no one knows it's happening, does anybody give a flying beep? No. <laughs> no. Uh, I think we should move on from this topic. I don't give a flying beep anyway. Yeah, it's just, it's dumb. Giro, RCS, bad communication, bad competition. Yeah. Moving There's on. plenty of good stuff in the Giro. Just just don't. Just stop it. Yeah. Just stop it. Okay, moving on. This week's podcast is brought to you by Health IQ, a life insurance company that rewards you for getting off the couch and onto your bike. They've spent years compiling data on healthy folks like us and are using it to provide special rates on life insurance for health-conscious people. That includes runners, strength trainers, cyclists, even vegans. We know our listeners ride. So support the show and check out Health IQ's life insurance rates specifically for cyclists like us. Get a quote at healthiq.com slash velonews. That's healthiq.com slash velonews. Um, guys, this first week opens with a punch to the gut in the form of stage four, Mount Etna. Yes. It is a volcano. Uh, I think we need to go around the table right now and come up with our best Mount Etna themed headlines that we will be putting on our stories that day. Spencer? Oh, I got to go first, huh? Yeah. Well, you're the, you're the news editor. Come on. You do web stuff for a living. You're like the headline ninja over here. Nibbly erupts. On Etna. Okay, that's a good one. Uh, Peloton explodes on Etna's slope. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, that one really, that was, that's what that one sings. It does. Maybe some alliteration in there? Um, that's, I'm trying to alliterate. I was trying to go with something lava. Ooh. Ooh. Just, you know, mix it up a little bit. 
or ash or something. Mm. Mm. Ashy lava heats nibbly to Etna victory. Mm. <laughs> okay. Well, two out of three wasn't bad. <laughs> Guys, what do we make of this stage and the implications it will have on the rest of the race. Obviously, there are going to be time gaps. Obviously, we're going to see eh, potentially a new person in pink at the end of the stage, and that person will then be charged with defending the pink jersey for the rest of the race. So, how well, do not the rest of the race, but well, until they, you know, get dropped. How do <laughs> yeah. we see how do we see this stage playing out and what are the implications that it has on the race? So it's stage four. It's uh, there's there's three, well, two kind of rolling stages and a flat stage before it, and then a rest day as they transfer from island to island. Um, I mean, rest days do weird things to people, but I think at this point in the race, it's you know, it's three days in, it's not going to do anything weird to anybody's legs. But it's true that Etna is really the first big test, and it's and it's the first big test followed by almost a solid week of no more tests. So. It's Etna, and then stage five, six, seven, eight are all just kind of rolling. They're not going to do anything in GC, and then you have Blockhouse on stage nine. So yeah. seven, seven, seven has a slight uphill kick in the end. Yeah, but some of these might be breakaway days, though. Truthfully. Yeah, I think probably not enough to change the GC. So that leaves you with a, a strong rider. So basically, we're looking at Naira Quintana and Vincenzo Nibali. Do those two guys want to take the pink jersey on stage four? And potentially then have to defend it all the way to stage nine at least, if not farther. And nine's the blockhouse climb, exactly. which is brutal, definitely. There is always the chance, and I could totally see this happening, that one of those two guys takes pink uh, on Etna. I think that's very, very likely. I agree, yeah. Uh, they don't actually want the pink jersey. And so they essentially hand it off to the breakaway mm. the next day. That I could definitely see happening. I would I would expect to see some guys who are in that four to five to six minutes down range after Etna trying to jump into a breakaway on stage five, which is Padara to Messina, a rolling stage, definitely a good one for a breakaway. And if, for example, if Quintana takes pink on Etna, doesn't want it, Movistar lets that thing go, gives him seven minutes, let him come in seven minutes behind, fine. If Naira Quintana is two minutes down and some random breakaway guy on stage five, he's not concerned. That's how I see this working out. One, one of the big guys is going to take pink. They're not going to be able to avoid it on, sta on stage four. They're going to try to try to give it away as soon as possible after that. So I see this playing out that maybe it's a second-tier favorite that goes for the stage win and the pink jersey on stage four. I could see a scenario in which Vincenzo Nibali and Naira Quintana actually plays the, you know, let's stay with the contenders, but when someone really digs deep to go for the move, uh, we, we let them go. Garbage take. Garbage Ooh, take. Okay. okay, let's hear it. <laughs> so you think it's going to be heads of state then? I think it's going to be heads of state, and oh, this is right. why. Because uh, stage four of the Giro, this is a race that is notorious for pulling sort of second-tier favorites up into the, the upper echelon, up into the top tier. Yeah. Uh, so you got your Steve... Oops. Stevie cruise ship is, uh, is our perfect example. Yeah. Steve, Steven Kreuzwick last year. Um, and so the, the, I just don't think that the, the heavy favorites, which again is Quintana and Nibley, I don't think that they can afford to give anybody any time. And they don't know, they don't know how Bob jungles is going to be riding in week three. They just don't. So they're not going to give him any, 
they're not going to give him any breathing room. And, I, and so I think it's got to be one of those guys on that now. I know how Bob Jungles is going to be riding on Bob on stage. <laughs> or, I know how Bob Jungles is going to be riding week three when it comes to stage 16, 17,500 feet of climbing. He ain't going to be there. <laughs> I think that with such a backloaded Giro, the guys who know that they're going to have the legs in that final week, they're not. They're 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 playing the don't lose the race on stage four, but you're not going to win the race on stage four. That's a better take. I think it could be really boring. Yeah, yeah it actually might be a little bit of a detente. Yep. Uh, and and like you said, the rest day maybe won't have a great effect. But regardless, it's weird to have a really tough mountain stage right after a rest day. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember back to my Cat 3 days, Spencer, of racing. You'd have a big race coming up on the weekend that maybe had a bunch of climbs. And uh, you, just, you had a lot of planning to do that week before the race. So I think, I think it's time for a little Ask Cat 3. Mm-hmm. Let's say you got a yeah. big climb coming up on the horizon. Oh, you're making me nervous already Man. talking about this. Ooh. What do you do the week before? Got the nerves. Got the nerves. Got the nerves um, already about this. So I personally think the week before a big race, great time to drop some weight. Oh, yeah. So just don't salads. Yeah. Just salads or for every meal. Just a big bowl of steam for breakfast. Mm, yeah, yeah that's, that's a pretty good idea. How about you? What, what are you doing, Cat 3? What's uh, your Cat might, 3 advice? Might head over to my dad's house and borrow his drill. Start uh, lightening up the bike a little. Oh. Drill, drill out the parts maybe a little. I think I've seen that on uh, one of the Leonard Zinner, Leonard Zinner articles or something like that. Yeah, uh, you know, those, uh, those yeah. springs in your pedals. Oh, those yeah, are, yeah. Those are take useless. those out. They're heavy. I bet I could take off my headset top cap. Yeah. Because the other bolts hold it together. Okay. I uh, probably could take a few bolts out of my stem faceplate because there's like four of them. Make so your probably da- just two is fine. Just two is plenty. Make your down tube look like a cheese grater. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's a it's a metal bike, so it should be fine. Um, so, uh, guys, I have, a, I have a Cat 3 question for you. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, we'll try to answer it. Yeah. You know, while I have you in the room, your expertise, <laughs> right? Uh, so let's just, you know, we're talking about Aetna here. We're, 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 pres- we're pretending that we're about to... Uh, to go tackle Etna. Where do you attack Naira Quintana oh. on the way into Etna? Well, I mean, I would say maybe 10 miles before you get to Etna, just mm. redline it. Yeah, because you just feel so good it cruising into so Peloton. Good. Yeah. Seems like a really good time because you just feel so good. Go for it. Yeah, you're not. Plus, he's not going to expect it. Mm. Mm. Surprise. Oh. Yeah. And he's a climber, so you know he's not good on flats. Yeah. Right? Good call. That's how it works, right? Yeah. You're just like one or the other. Yeah. Sweet. Appreciate that, guys. Really yeah, okay. appreciate it. Yeah. Got it. No problem. guys well that's some good cat three advice so let's do it let's put our let's put our money money where our mouths are let's lay the chips on the table what other cliches can i come up with mm-hmm. let's have our giro picks let's have some hot takes yeah hot <laughs> takes on who's gonna win never heard that one before <laughs> um spencer you go first man like damn it why am i always going for who do you see winning ah. this three-week grand tour Who's going to win that Giro d'Italia? I'm on Team Nibali right now. I'm yeah. thinking Vincenzo Nibali. I know Nairo Quintana is riding really well. I know the climbs are going to suit him, etc. The thing is, I just don't think Quintana can do the Giro Tour double, and it's going to mess him up in both both regards. I think Nibali's focus on the Giro is better for him, and uh, he's just a more experienced racer due to being you know a few years older and having won every Grand Tour. So 
I, I'm going with experience. I'm going with Nibley. I'm going with him for being more focused on just winning the Giro. That is a pile of hot garbage in take mm-hmm. form. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't, you know, I won't belabor the the wrongness of your take, but um, I will. Okay, <laughs> let's hear it. Are you, are you want me to belabor the wrongness of Spencer's take? So. I just, you know, first of all, Nibali is not exactly Godzilla on the time trial bike. He He's is, won time trials before, though. He He's won Grand Tour time trials. He is a strong climber and a smart tactician, but, like, how do you tactically plan for the best climber in the world when it's the hardest climbing route in recent memory? The last week is super gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will sure. say that, uh, yeah, Nairo is my pick. To win, for sure. I, I just for don't, sure for sure. I just don't. I just you know, short of something going wacky. I just that last week is so hard. I can't imagine anybody else. But uh, what about Bobby J? Bob Jungles for second for sure. Oh yeah, Bobby J. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I cannot wait to see what Jungle Bob does. I mean, he is an explosive rider. He's transforming himself into a Grand Tour guy. I just. Yeah. Love that guy. So I also was going to pick Nairo, but you picked him. So I'm just out of spite. I'm going to pick someone else, even though I do think he's going to actually win. Um, you know, I think that since there is so much climbing and this guy's really shown himself on the climbs, I think Thibaut Pino is going to have a great Giro. Mm-hmm. Not going to say he's going to win, but I'm saying uh, he's going to have a great Giro. And he can definitely time trial well. Yeah. For that matter. So. Yeah. Where does Filippo Pizzato finish? Pizzato. Um, first in the hearts of those Instagram followers. First in our hearts. That's where it finishes. Um, Was there any type of competition with him, like getting additional tattoos if he won or lost something? (laughs) There should be. That that could be. Pirelli could just pick up the slack there if they if they cut out the uh, best descender classification. Most Pizzato. Because they probably already cashed that check, right? (laughs) Most Pizzato. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, could be a better play for the Italian crowd than the best descender. It'd be easier to understand. No need to worry about points or uh, any of that business. Just straight up. Best Pizzato, Pizzato. <laughs> Great social integration, too. Unless another rider like gets a tattoo every single day yeah. during the Giro, that would be almost more Pizzato than Pizzato. Out Pizzato, Pizzato. But how would he grow the hair? Mm, I don't know. Well, This is for Pirelli's marketing team to figure out. <laughs> yeah, we, we do have... But again, we're full of great ideas, so if RCS needs to sort this out, I feel like we're Pel- the guys to ask. I feel like Pelizzotti yeah. could potentially out Pizzotto Pizzotto. Guys, we have Pelizzotti in this race. Ooh. He's like 45 years old. He looks like Sideshow Bob. <laughs> he can climb better oh, than he? all of us driving a motorcycle. I was getting them mixed up with the hair. Yeah, I, yeah, I was thinking this. Yeah, I got, mean, Pizzotto's got good hair as well. They're, they're two P Italian guys, the P names. I was once at Liege, best on Liege, kicking around the Leaky Gas team bus, and... Uh, Pelizzati came out to go to sign in, and it was the strongest aroma of hair gel or man musk cologne that I've ever smelled. And I was like, this guy's getting ready to go race for like six hours. Did yep. he attract a herd of elk with that aroma? Um, no, just a herd of autograph seekers who all seem to be the same gender. Oh. Um, you know yeah. who smells really good? Who's that? Bernie Isel. Now yeah. we're now we're getting not now we're yeah. getting into Deep it. Cuts. <laughs> Deep cuts. Bernie Isel smells delicious. Ew. He smells like candy or something. Yeah, Pelizzotti's thirty-nine. Bit. Wow, older than Valverde. Hmm. That's 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 huh. doing huh. something. That's uh, oh. interesting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Great preparation. Um, moving on, Spencer. We need to get to your awesome interview. Uh, tell us 
tell the good listeners about uh, who you were able to chat with for this week's episode of the Villainous Podcast. Yeah, guys. So I was at Sea Otter Classic uh, the other week, and I came upon Chris Cosentino, who is a celebrity chef here in the U.S. He won Top Chef Masters. Uh, it's a really well-known cooking competition on Bravo TV Network. Uh, and he's a really enthusiastic cyclist. And before he really got into being a chef, he was a pretty serious endurance mountain bike racer, racing 24-hour solo, single speed. And Nowadays, his interaction with cycling is uh, centered around a charitable uh, organization that he has started called Chef Cycle, and he's uh, working to raise money for No Kid Hungry. So this one's a little off the beaten path compared to some of our B segments we've done recently, some of our interviews. Uh, We'd love to hear from you listeners about whether you like it or not, but uh, he's a real interesting character and definitely a fun guy to talk to and clearly very passionate about cycling. So let's give it a listen. Today we're here with Chris Cosentino, and he is a celebrity chef, winner of Top Chef Masters Season 4, and also a very avid cyclist. Chris, I think you're going to do a better job of introducing yourself than I am, so I'll let you take it away from there. (laughs) Thanks. Um, My name's Chris Cosentino. I'm the chef of Coxcomb in San Francisco, Jack Rabbit in Portland, as well as Bocalone, and then Acacia House, which will soon to be open in Napa. Nice. And um, all very excellent restaurants from what I've heard. Thank you. It's uh, nice to hear. So which came first, uh, your passion for cycling or your passion for restaurants? They were on a identical path together. So I was in culinary school and I had a very serious injury where I blew out my knee beyond all, I mean, super horrible. Um, had to get complete reconstructive. I'm talking cadaver graft, collagen implants, everything. And, you know, the restaurant industry, you're always on your feet. And the doctor said to me, you need to start cycling to build muscle. And I just started mountain biking every day, every day, every day. And, and riding mountain bikes turned into single speed mountain bikes. And single speed mountain bikes turned into 24 hour solo single speed mountain bikes. And then I was working the restaurant full time. I was racing as a, as a semi-pro and the opportunity came to turn pro and I quit working the restaurants. I raced Montezuma's Revenge. I was the first single speeder to ever do Montezuma's Revenge. I did seven loops. Um, I've done 20 solo 24 hour races. I won 24 hours of Tahoe against geared dudes before they made our own category. I did Leadville 100 and many, many other different events. So it's now at a point where I quit riding. I can't ride single speeds anymore. I'm too old. I'm 45. Um, I stopped riding for probably 10 years. I rode occasionally. And then it just came a point in my life where I missed my friends that were biking. I missed the cycling. I missed the fitness. I missed the health. And there was just this pivotal change. Everything changed in my life. Are there some similarities between between cycling, between racing mountain bikes, and, and being in the restaurant in terms of that energy you need to have to like power through a long night of working in a kitchen versus like a long night of <laughs> racing a single speed mountain bike on a trail? You know, cooking and cycling are very similar in a lot of ways. First off, you have to build your legs right? Build your legs to stand on, whether it's you're in the saddle or you're in the kitchen. You have to have foundation. You have to build foundation. You have to build the basics to be able to succeed, whether it's a 24-hour race, a 100-mile ride, 
You know, you can't just say, I know how to ride a bike and you're going to show up tomorrow and ride a hundred miles. It doesn't happen. Nor is it a chef is going to show up and say, I can cut an onion. I'm going to open my own restaurant. So it, they're, they're very similar paths. You know, chefs know how to suffer. We know how to work long hours. Uh, we give up a lot of things to make people happy. And in cycling, you learn to suffer and you give up sanity and you learn to accept pain. So I think it's a very, very natural path. They, they basically skirt next to each other on the highway. Yeah. You know, you're like in two lanes next to each other the whole way. And it's, it's such an amazing similarity. Both are very competitive, right? Mm -hmm. You have to focus, you have to train. Practice makes perfect in the kitchen. Training makes perfect on a bicycle. So it really is all a very natural symbiotic thing. You know, food, if you don't eat the right food, you can't ride really well, right? You don't recover well. So it's a, it, it, there's just so much crossover, it's, it's ridiculous. And so um, we were just talking before we got on, the, got on the show here about how you just got back from doing the Paris-Roubaix Challenge, the Sportive. Uh, give us the quick race report from um, what's probably the hardest Sportive you can ever do. You know, I, um, Paris-Roubaix falls on my birthday every five years. Okay, my birthday is April 14th. Um, I turned 45 this year, and last year I rode for my birthday up to Lagunitas and proceeded to get completely pretty tanked, uh, and took a car ride home. But during that conversation of sitting at the table and drinking beer, there was this, I really want to do the Paris-Roubaix for my birthday. And my wife threw down the gauntlet. She goes, all right, next year you're 45. That's your year. Do it. We made it happen. So my buddy Terry Curley and I planned this whole thing. We signed up for the 172K, which is about 108 miles. 85% um, of it's on cobblestone. And we did it. I mean, it was definitely rough people have no idea how hard it is everybody can watch the watch it on tv and you can yell at the tv all you want you can say that dude's a wuss you can talk shit all you want but until you take mike tyson to your nether regions for eight hours don't don't talk smack because you have no idea so how are the blisters looking do you have any blisters going on or are they gone I had no blisters. Honestly, the, the biggest difficulty for me was my underarms, you know, from holding on. Oh, yeah, the muscle. No, yeah. The muscle under your arm, from your elbow to your armpit, really, really super sore. Um, of course, your posterior definitely takes an abuse. Um, I mean, riding on cobbles is tough. You get a great pace. You're going, you're going, and then somebody pulls in front of you. You you can't veer offline. You lose your momentum. And it really is difficult to get it back going again. Yeah. And so I I did a silly story before Perry-Roubaix. I don't know if you saw it or not, but I was I was kind of giving Perry-Roubaix a little bit of a hard time because I said, well, you know, we've got these fake Roubaix races here in the States and they don't compare in terms of like how hard they are, but there's better food to eat afterwards. So as a chef, like wh what did you eat after Paris-Roubaix challenge and did it, you know, how does it rank as far as like a post-race feed? And I'm talking like just pigging out on some stuff because you get, you know, you're just so hungry when you're finished with one of those rides. Um, what did we have after? It's pretty pathetic. So we did finish in the velodrome and literally we got off the bike. I went over to the Rafa, got a double espresso, had two beers. We got in the car, we went to a carry four, and we got a fucking ham and butter sandwich and drove back to where we were staying. That was it. That is 
So you're Chris, you have no idea, but this this totally reinforces the theory I had in my my little silly story. And I was getting all these people mad at me for dragging French cuisine because, like, you know, you got these. There's a lot of good food in France, and I've been beautiful food in France. But you know, Roubaix is not is there's it's not a mecca for food, right? right. And it's so set up for the race and for the families and fun. After doing a sportif, you literally want to go home, yeah. take a shower, use some tux medicated pads on your bum because it hurts so much, and and just like eat something. So we went back, we went back to uh, we were staying in Ghent. So we went drove, which was an hour from Roubaix to Ghent. We got back, we took showers, and then we just went out to eat. It was just like, yeah. what can we get in us right <laughs> now? We were done. Yeah, so I did a I did this race in Michigan. They call Barry Roubaix, which is a cool race, gravel race. Yeah. And after that, I went to Culver's, which is a Midwest, <laughs> you know, fast food place. That's good, right? I mean, come on, like you would you would have killed for a Culver's after Perry Roubaix challenge, right? You kill for anything. <laughs> I mean, you are so hungry. Yeah. They gave us waffles nonstop, like these packaged sugar bomb waffles. Yeah. Which, you know, yeah, you know, beer in Belgium, waffles. Yeah. I would have preferred frites, but, like, I wanted salt. At that time, honestly, your body actually craves salt during the whole ride. Yeah. Doesn't crave sugar at all. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. You get to the point where you cannot eat anything sweet any no. longer. No, no. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, you, you've been doing more and more stuff with cycling, and there's some awesome events with really great cuisine. Um, it's funny, too, because, you know, there's the side of cycling where people love good food and love going to awesome restaurants. But also, I think back to the days of, like, eating instant oatmeal before races and, like, buying Snickers bars at gas stations and stuff. Like, what's um, what's some advice you have for listeners on ways to like avoid like really terrible food options when you're out on a ride or if you're getting ready for a race as a chef what what's kind of your your tips for the, for people like that i think for most people i mean you need to plan in advance you know um just like everything in life you plan for a wedding you plan for anniversaries plan for your rides like think the night before if i know i'm going out you know what am i going to have at home when i get back what am i going to ride with um i'm a firm believer in mini baguettes with butter and ham. And, and you know, that's a really classic French, like, mousset bag deal. A banana. Keep it simple. Don't, don't make it rocket science. Don't eat garbage. Like, if you eat oatmeal, eat a 10-grain oatmeal. Put a poached egg in it. Throw some spinach in that oatmeal. You're getting more out of your meal than you are with just, like, a bowl of gruel. You know, and I think for so long, everybody's been told, don't eat that. Watch your weight. You know... You ride so you can eat. Let's just be honest. I definitely do. None of us are, not, I mean, I'm 45. I'm not turning pro, okay? Those days are gone. Well, I'm, you already did anyway. But my ride is for fun, you know? I'm riding for fun. I'm riding to enjoy myself, to live a better, healthy life, just like the majority of the riders out there right now. So enjoy your moments and enjoy the food. Like, eat properly, eat balance. Don't do tons of sugar. Don't do tons of salt. Have a medium. Find that happy medium of things that you enjoy every day. Like when I do super big rides, nothing satiates me more after a ride than cold fried chicken. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but if you have uh, fried thighs, bone in, 
and they're cold. There's nothing wrong with a picnic cold fried chicken, right? Um, Bacon, whole wheat, almond butter, super delicious for you. I would pack them in Ziploc bags on rides. Um, Things like that, like real food is key. And I think um, the only things that I'm using now that are out there on the market, like market stuff, is I use Ted King's product. I use the maple yeah. And that's because it's natural. I can yeah. I can resonate. I can read what's on the label, and I know what it is. And as a Vermonter, personally, I'm a big fan as well. I can't get enough maple syrup. but It's delicious. It's natural. You yeah. don't feel gross by it. You know. And this is a great segue because you are making some bars now uh, for cycling, your pave bars. Tell me about these. So, I, you know, I, I raced for years, I think. For me, it was m- becoming more and more geared towards, I want all natural foods, I want organics, I want ingredients that I can read. And Pave Bar, it's kind of a joke, you know, like when I first started riding, all the bars honestly were like eating pavement. Let's just be (laughs) honest. Like if it was cold in the morning, you knew you were going to crack your tooth (laughs) eating those bars. And I wanted to make something that I could hand to my child and he would eat it because he knows what's in it. Mm -hmm. It's six ingredients. It's all organic. There's one with nuts and one with seeds. It's pretty straightforward. I've been handing them out to a lot of friends. Ted King likes them. Lucas likes them. You had some yesterday on your ride. Yeah, they're good. And it's it's ultimately about knowing what the ingredients are in the product, feeling comfortable with them, mm-hmm. right? And knowing that you can hand it off to a kid and say, hey, this is an organic product. It's good. I know all my sources. And that's the thing. Like, the food is changing big time. Sports is changing. People want connectivity to their food. They want connectivity to their uh, sources. And they want to feel good about what they're buying. And that, to me, is why I started doing Pave Bar. I want to know what I'm eating. And I can't can't do corn syrup anymore. I can't do all the grains. Because most of the time, your body can't digest them. They're gluten-free. They're organic, right? And they're just all natural. There's no preservatives. You can read the ingredients. If I laid them all out on the table, you would eat each one individually on its own. That was the goal. Yeah, it definitely. It seems like you've hit, you hit it hit it right on the right on the nose. I'd say. Thank you. I appreciate it. We're working on packaging. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Chris is making reference. It's a little hard to open the plastic, but that's all right. The taste is there. <laughs> taste is there. We're in prototype packaging right now. <laughs> and you're just making these in your kitchen, which is pretty cool. It's just a, it's almost like a startup type situation. Well, it is a startup. Yeah, it's it's all, um, each restaurant, they're available at Jackrabbit in Portland, and they're available at Acacia House. And that's where we're making them currently right now, and I'm in the process of interviewing uh, two different uh, production facilities to make them for us. And we're already looking at new packaging that's a lot more accessible when you're riding. Very cool. And um, and so a- another kind of major project of yours uh, as it relates to cycling and the, chef- the community of chefs in the restaurant world is Chef Cycle, which is a um, nonprofit that is um, raising money for No Kid Hungry. Uh, so tell me a little more about that, how that came into being and uh, the mission and what-, what you're hoping to get out of it. So as a chef, my job every day is to create taste memories, right? You have taste memories. There's some. There's something in your childhood that, if you remember it fondly, whether it's when your feet were in the sand, uh, and you had like the perfect lobster roll, or the first time you had maple syrup right tapped from the tree. You have those taste memories. 
that's my job in life. It's kind of a cool thing, right? Yeah, not bad at all. Not a bad job. But what's interesting is, as the more I was looking, and you know, I have a 12-year-old now, his name is Easton, the more I, I would see him go to school in a public school, I would see more and more kids not have food for breakfast. I would see the struggles. And so what No Kid Hungry does, No Kid Hungry provides a whole milk, a whole grain, and a whole fruit per child every day. Now, doesn't take into account their financial well-being, anything. It's put on the table in front of every student in the class. So no one feels out of place. No one feels uncomfortable, which I think is perfect because then you've, you've set away the fears, right? Stigma's gone. Now every child will eat whether they want it or not. And what we've seen is that the kids that don't need it pass it on and save it and give it to the kids that do need it to take home for siblings. Yeah. But what we're seeing is, is Chef Cycle is an offshoot of No Kid Hungry. And what happened was is Jeff Mahan, um, Jason Roberts, who lives in Australia, uh, came with Adele Nelson, who is our director, and they proposed this idea of chefs riding their bikes. Getting chefs healthy again, right, in something that's good for us. So we can't, chefs shouldn't run. We stand on our feet for 14 hours a day. We need low impact, right? Biking is perfect. Cycling is it. So let's get chefs on bikes to raise money for No Kid Hungry. And who doesn't want to watch a chef suffer for 300 miles in three days? Who, wants, who doesn't want to watch that? So what they do is they, people throw down cash. So what happens is, is it's 300 miles in three days. There is This year there will be 300 chefs. Our goal is to raise $3 million. It was just announced yesterday that Pink and her husband will be riding with us. Wow. So we're really excited to, to welcome Pink onto the ride. And I didn't know she was a cyclist. Or didn't know she rode bikes. She, well, she rides motorcycles. Come on, you know who her husband okay. is, right? That's right. <laughs> so, but she does, and she's on our board. She's on our board. She's like our, oh, no our, on our board. And, and it's really, you know, the dude's on our board, too. You know the dude. Yeah. So, like, we've got some great people supporting and pushing us for the right thing, pushing the public in the right direction. How can you take, like, you think about this, one in every, one out of five children go to school without a meal in the morning. Sad. It's horrible. It's terrible. They are our future. Let's just be honest, right? Mm -hmm. They're our future. Do you want a kid that goes to school that doesn't have the ability to focus because he can't eat? How are they going to grow? Mm -hmm. How are they going to be the best they can be if we don't give them the tools to succeed? Mm -hmm. So our job as people and in the industry, culinary professionals, bartenders, wait staff, our job is to feed people. So let's fucking feed kids. Mm -hmm. Let's work our ass off. We'll suffer. Chefs have the innate ability to suffer. We have, there's, I can name 20 chefs that you would not believe that could, will ride this event yeah. and suffer. They will suffer <laughs> to do it. They will not quit yeah. because we're there for the right reasons. Yeah. Our, our goal is each individual chef has to raise a minimum of $7,500. Our goal, of course, is always to do more and to do more, right? And if we can keep pushing that forward, $3 million, $1 feeds 10 children. Yeah. Start doing the math. Yeah, it's a lot. People go and pay 99 cents for a Red Bull, which is absolute, I'll leave it alone because they support <laughs> a lot of cycling. But that being said, yeah. $1 feeds 10 kids. So if for every person that says, oh, no way, I don't have the money to give that. 
10 bucks feeds 100 kids. Mm. Throw down, folks. That's a good cause. Yeah. We can correct this. It's not like a disease that we'll never understand, right? And yes, will there be a cure for cancer eventually? Yes. Will there be a cure for Alzheimer's? Yes. But we have enough food in this country to feed everybody. Let's feed everybody now. So let's end this on a fun, we'll do, do, do a fun little game to end this. Okay. Um, all right, so let's play Top Chef. Um, it, for our listeners, <laughs> for our listeners who aren't familiar, Top Chef is a really awesome show on Bravo. I'm a big fan. Um, and they have uh, every every week with the, every episode, there's these different challenges for the chefs. Um, so I'm imagining a Top Chef challenge where you have to cook for a professional cyclist. And so I want you to be telling me what is the dish you're going to cook for this pro cyclist? I'm going to give you a few names, and, and we'll have to just consider their nationality and their proclivities, that Coffee. sort of thing. All right, here we go. Okay, so Eddie Merckx. This is a, this is a big one. Okay. I, I'm starting you with a hard one. That's not hard. Come on, it's Eddie Merckx. So first comes first, Belgian, right? First off, horse fat French fries. Ooh, okay. Frites in Belgium are traditionally fried in horse fat. That's all. It was done that way for years. So sorry, Americans who love horses, but that's their fat of choice. Um, I would do horse fat frites, and then I would do really beautiful sausage, like gorgeous, super beautiful, like a, a, a bockwurst. Um, a, a really, I just had a really great uh, deschufel. A Schufel triple IPA with citra hops, dynamite, and a really great roasted potatoes with duck fat. Really classic. Okay. All right. That sounds awesome. Um, let's get a little granular here. Okay. So here's another Belgian. So this is Tom Bonin. So this is the new school Belgian. Are you going to give him a different type of Belgian dish? Oh, yeah. Because, you know, you have two different styles there. You have the old school, which respects the classics and the history, right? I mean, anybody that puts their face on the head tube of their frame, and by the way, I have a picture of it from the Flanders Museum. Boonin is, I would go down the roads of super light. You know, he's like a whole roasted fish dude. Oh, okay. All right. You know, but I'm not talking ocean fish. I'm talking river fish. So you're talking pike. You know, you're talking pike quenelles, really beautiful crawfish sauce, classic, old school. Nice, nice. That sounds good. All right, Peter Sagan. Oh, God, I know nothing about Slavic food. He loves America, though. I know See, that's does. the thing. He's, he's, he's a burger dude. I know he's a burger dude, and um, he likes to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> and he, his thing, he's adventurous. He eats adventurously. He loves the States. But he wants it to be grandiose and fun and have a good time. So for him, um, it's honestly, it's like something like he would want something to share with the people he's with. And uh, at Coxcomb and Jackrabbit, we do a four-pound pinbone steak with um, beautiful seasonal vegetables, bone marrow dip, and then we do green peppercorn sauce. So that would be for him because he's loud, he's boisterous, he wants to have a good time, he wants to share, he wants to talk and be convivial. That's just in his nature. And I think that's the perfect fit for him. Nice. Okay, last one. Jens Vogt. Oh, Jensy? I've already cooked for Jensy. That's super fucking easy. <laughs> okay. um, Jens, I've crushed. I did a huge <laughs> chocrut platter for him. Okay. I did two types of sausage. I did a braised pork hock that was deep fried. 
Um, I did Brussels kraut instead of sauerkraut. Um, and then we did beautiful potatoes with mustard and chives. Super fun. I crushed him two years ago before the Enzi Grand Fondo, <laughs> hoping it would slow him down. No. It didn't work. <laughs> it's just more fuel for the fire. Oh, for <laughs> him, yeah. And he's super fun. He loved it. Like, he was enjoying it. Like, he had beef heart tartare. He was eating tons of salads. He was just really open to the experience. It was fun. That's awesome. See, no wonder you're so good at this game because you already pretty much have done this at the end of the <laughs> Yeah. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time. This has been really interesting, and I wish you the best of luck with the chef cycle. Thank you very much, and uh, hopefully we'll see you out there. Research has shown that avid cyclists have a 45% lower cancer risk, 18% lower heart disease risk, and 28% lower risk of early death. Good stuff, right? gets better. This week's sponsor of the Velenews podcast, Health IQ, is a life insurance company that rewards you for being fit as a fiddle. Head over to healthiq.com slash to get a quote. You'll find a rate that reflects your healthy lifestyle, and you'll show your support for this podcast at the same time. Uh, okay, guys. Um, I love the Giro d'Italia. This downhill competition is really wacky. It's got me all torn up. So I think we need to come up with a just a, a different competition, a race within the race that the Giro organizers could put forward beyond the most posato, of course. Because, because that's, that's obvious. That, yeah, that's yeah. that's the best one. It's basically going to happen, isn't it? Okay, so what is the um, Giro competition that you would like to see? So uh, this isn't overly creative, but I actually really like the Maglianera last place huh. competition, which, mm. which the Giro used to have. They, they killed it. Uh, I think they should bring it back because I, th I think that guys trying to go as slow as possible while staying within time cut is actually somewhat entertaining and like doing track stands before finish lines and <laughs> fun things like that. So I think bring back, bring back Maglianera. I think it was, uh, we got some great stories out of it. We'd get great stories out of it again. Bring, bring back the last place award. Mm, I like it. Um, my competition is the who is the first sprinter to abandon competition? Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. Maybe if they come back to the Giro, they have to wear a really ugly kit, like just a really obnoxious kit, even more ugly than the usual like Italian Pro Conti team. Or kits. they have to ride all the stages that they missed from the previous year before they actually yeah. get to the start. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Andre Greipel, you missed uh, stage 16 from the 2017 Giro, so you have to go ride that now. Yeah, have fun on the Stelvio, <laughs> bud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Spencer, uh, any wacky competitions you'd like to see? The like marinara eating competition, or uh, um, you know, Italy that they just are such a fashionable country. I feel like the Giro needs a fashion show hmm. component too. Uh, maybe this could be part of the team's presentation that happens before the race begins. And uh, just like, let's get these guys out walking the catwalk, you know, in their cycling shoes, of course, because that's part of the look, uh, safety first. And um, there could be classifications within the fashion show. Ooh. Like one of them could be for the jersey that has the most words on it. Yeah. Uh, so that would really favor the smaller pro continental teams. And we know they're always kind of looking for a way to shine. Most sponsors. Uh, I like yeah. it. <laughs> so I, I think it would really fit the brand quite nicely. Hmm. Giro Fashion Show, mm -hmm. sponsored by, um, you know, Louis Vuitton. Louis Vuitton and Ambrosio's PVC pipes <laughs> and um, <laughs> some local bread maker and uh, the local Skoda dealer as well. <laughs> 
Well, we would love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at webletters at competitorgroup.com. We'll also post links to the stories we talked about today on bellnews.com. Subscribe to the Bella News Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And while you are there, please leave us a comment and a rating. Become a fan of Bella News on Facebook at facebook.com slash magazine. And follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash News. The Bella News Podcast is produced by Bella News, which is owned by the Competitive Group. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the Bella News Podcast are those of the individual. And as always, we leave you with the Brooklyn Google Club playing Bernard Curdy Classic Soul Drums. Oh, 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 oh,